Closet Practice, a podcast for queers of all stripes to share their stories, whether they're in, out, or out curious. You can take the queer life out of the closet, but you can't take the closet out of queer life. Maybe, though, we can shine a little light inside. I'm your host, Documenta Barbarism, the terror that flaps in the night. I am obsessed with the style of Kyle. When we meet, he is wearing a thin black cardigan, harem pants, and zebra print Chuck Taylors, his septum and ears pierced. He looks so cool and he's not even trying. It's a lazy Sunday morning in Jersey City. He literally woke up like this. I was especially fascinated by the way Kyle talked about the effect labels have had not only on the way he understands himself, but in the way others understand him, sometimes for the worst. If you remember, in episode one, Francisco saw labels as a limiting factor, while in the last episode, Janet shared how the more precise their terms became, the closer they felt to authentic. If you haven't listened to those episodes yet, I encourage you to. It's been so interesting to see how each story builds on, complements, and complicates the previous ones. I'm just going to pretend that that was all by design. Kyle and I met up at the house of one of his friends, where he had spent the weekend dog-sitting. You can hear one of his furry charges come trotting up every once in a while, just making sure everything is alright. Because his friend's house had high ceilings and hardwood floors, we had to record in, you guessed it, the closet. I moved uh, from Jersey City to uh, North Carolina when I was about, like, just about to turn 12. So this would have been around, like, 95, 96, 1995-96, and, um... It was more so supposed to be temporary just because I would spend summers in North Carolina, um, just spend with my grandmother and my aunt and all of my cousins who are all women. Uh, <laughs> so there was a lot of estrogen in that house. You know, it was really, really fun. And, you know, there was... It's very different from, you know, the life here in Jersey City where, like, it's it's basically a concrete jungle. Like, there's not, you know, these sprawling fields and all this, you know, things like that to speak of. It's hard to say which place I liked more because I love both but for very different reasons. Jersey City sort of taught me, you know, to be street smart super early. Like, I'm, it taught me to be super independent very early because um, I know I was... In a household with two working parents and so I was taking myself I was getting myself ready for school making my own lunches getting myself to and from school taking the train by myself or, you know so it, I, I was used to that and sort of having that sense of, of just of independence and then moving to North Carolina I carried that with me so I was able to sort of get through the uh, the weirdness of like being the new kid in school and like I've never really had to worry about that because I was staying in the same school with all my same friends when I was you know living here in Jersey. But what I did find is that there was there was a lack of, I guess, like a softness to me just because I had to be so tough. Whether it be, you know, dealing with just the strangers every day in the street or like just, you know, bullies and things of that nature. Like I always like walked around with like probably a really big chip on my shoulder. And being around, you know, all these like tender, sweet, still strong women in my family, but just very tender and sweet and yes ma'am and hey honey and you know, very that and like being around that 24-7 really taught me to see sort of the softer, more, I guess more feminine side to myself too because I never really embraced that um, 
you know, growing up around a lot of my uh, cousins who are, you know, men or boys at the time. Um, and they're all like rough and tumble and like, let's go play football and wrestle and climb trees and ah, I'm man. <laughs> I'm just like, this is weird. I just want to go like draw Snoopy or something in the corner and play with dolls. Like I was, just, I was very much not like your stereotypical, like boy, as far as bullying was concerned, I knew that was going to be a thing. It has, you know, go, especially going into a new school, meeting new people, um, I also knew and understood just that I'm not necessarily the most masculine presenting or sounding person. <laughs> so I was already, again, like guard up when it came to that. So I was able to deal with it pretty, pretty well. Like, I, I mean, there were a couple of instances that were, were not <laughs> the best, mostly like, for example, I had um, ran track and field my ninth and 10th grade year. And I just remember a lot of you know, of the other guys on the team would like, just, it was mostly just people saying really, really hurtful, mean things to try to get a reaction out of me. And I wouldn't necessarily react in the moment. Like I almost learned to just like tune it out and like turn off the ability to want to respond, even though truly deep down, I wanted to be like, you mother, you know, whatever. But then like, if I did feel a certain kind of way or, or something they said did hit me, I would go home and deal with the emotions at home. Very rarely would I talk to my grandmother about a lot of this or talk to a lot of my family about it. I, again, because it's that needing to be independent and do everything on my own kind of like mentality that I still have to this day. Um, I'm learning to like pull away from that a bit more and, and accept, you know, help from people, whether it's just somebody just to sit and listen to me talk like I'm doing now, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't talk to my, my grandmother didn't know about any of it until probably, probably like my senior year of high school is when I finally, and by then, like, it wasn't even an issue anymore, probably because I started speaking up for myself a lot more instead of just, you know, being a doormat, and uh, she even told me, she she was like, why didn't you say something to me sooner? I'm like, what is, what could you, in my mind, I was thinking, what could you have possibly done to to make it stop like i've done what i thought i could do being that these are my peers and like these are you know the school administrators and the people that are supposed to be helping me and i wasn't really receiving much <laughs> from them so i'm just like well i'll deal with it in, in my own way <laughs> lots of crying uh, <laughs> lots of locking myself in the room and crying I never dealt with it in, in like, an aggressive manner. Like, I was never, like, an angry kid where I felt like I needed to go, like, hurt something or someone in order to, to get that uh, those feelings out. I think I just sort of, like, yeah, I would just sit and cry in my room. And sometimes I would even ask myself, like, why these kids are, or people are doing and saying these things because, like, I'm just not inherently a mean person. Like, unless you give me a reason to, you know, have to attack you in some way, whether it be verbally or physically like you know i just let people be like i was just like why well, would just let me be i knew a lot of it probably was centered around the fact that you know i was sort of figuring out myself in terms of my sexuality and a lot of the kids would you know come at me with you know like you're gay but like in a in that sort of like negative you know tone and intent and so i always and even when i was like in elementary school like i would hear these kids say that i'm like at that point i was like what the word what the is gay even like I don't even know what that is so but I having that beaten into your head by other people sort of taught me that gay is bad and then once I actually figured out what gay you know being gay was I was like well I mean that kind of explains who I am but I know that it wasn't entirely like so like when people would like ask me 
in a very confrontational manner too. Like, like, hey, are you a faggot or are you gay? I'm like, no. And I felt like I was being honest with myself and with everyone else because I didn't, I didn't feel like that word fit me. <laughs> so, and they were like, well, no. So everybody else thought that I was just like in the closet and lying about it. And I'm like, no, like I just don't have enough sophisticated vocabulary to explain what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling this way. And I'm trying to, you know, make sense of it all, all while having all of you berate me about it. And I'm just like, it, 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 it was, it was chaotic. <laughs> It definitely got better the minute I got that high school diploma. I could not have ran out of that building any faster. Spending a lot of time with my extended family as, as a kid, uh, most of my cousins on my dad's side of the family, most of them were, you know, boys. And so seeing how they sort of behaved and sort of how they interacted with each other and got along and and all that, and I never really quite clicked with them when we were kids, because I was just like, I don't, we don't have the same, you know, interests and, and things, and so I felt it then at first, but I, I didn't tie it necessarily to, like, sexuality or anything. I was too young, like, you know, to really have that connection or, or make that connection, but um, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. <laughs> the first time I realized that I was, quote-unquote, different, I'll take you back, it was fourth, wait, fourth grade? But yeah, fourth grade, um, had a, I was going to a private Catholic school uh, here in downtown Jersey City, and they were offering art classes and, like, a drama club after school. So it was, like, you know, an opportunity for me to, you know, stay inside of a safe building while my parents, you know, in case they were working late or whatever. So, of course, me wanting to get in everything, I'm like, yeah, I'll do both. <laughs> and I was doing drama club, and we were performing, or we were rehearsing for, I want to say it was Romeo and Juliet which I play Benvolio, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and we did all of our own sets and, and all of that jazz. And so, and it was from uh, grades four through eight that were in, um, involved in the production. And I remember uh, making friends with one of the older kids. I won't say his name, but <laughs> like, um, in case he... <laughs> but um, we were doing, we were, I was helping him um, hang sets up and he was like, getting on the ladder to like go up and down to like you know hang these different like there were um like these stained glass like window painting looking things they were really pretty actually i just remember he was wearing <laughs> he was wearing like a because he played basketball i believe at the time as well so he was wearing like a sleeveless like t-shirt and like these basketball shorts i just remember i always thought he was kind of cute but i was like just like oh like he's just a good looking dude whatever and then <laughs> As I'm holding the ladder and he's going up the ladder, I look up and he was not necessarily wearing any undergarments and I got a glimpse up. <laughs> you can imagine. And I like look and it was like, it was like the clouds opened up. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, got it. <laughs> it was the strangest feeling, but it felt good to know like, okay, I. I can now start to make sense of like, okay, yes, this is something that I want. Like, whether it be, you know, casually, a relationship, whatever the case is, I just know I like boys. But I also still knew, <laughs> at the end of the day, it wasn't like, that's it. Like, you know, I still needed to, you know, explore all other, all other areas because, you know, I didn't, again, curious individual. <laughs> I have to know. So my sexual exploration after that started pretty young 
it was mainly just sort of me fumbling through and trying to figure out just what sex even was, period. Oops. Maybe 14, when I had like my first sexual experience with a girl. It was what it was, it was great. It was a girl that like, I, we used to go to, there was a local skating rink in Burlington, the Rollabout Skate Center, yes. Like I would spend so much time there, probably like four times a week. That was like one of my other random outlets to like, you know, just get my energy out. But anywho, she was there all the time and we became really, really good friends. And then, you know, because 14 hormones, they're out of control. <laughs> So we would, uh, they would do these like lockdowns where like, so it was like a overnight skate. So it's from like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And there was you know, chaperones and the whole jazz. But like, of course there's nooks and crannies and places where kids can sneak off. And <laughs> we did, and we did. And um, started there. And then um, I didn't really have my first experience with a boy until probably a year after that. That one was interesting because like, in the moment, it felt right. But again, because of, you know, all of the the things that were being said to me by other kids about like gay is wrong or the way in which they were saying it to me implied that it's wrong. I did feel like almost guilty and a little bit of shame afterwards. I didn't understand why until I, you know, uh, as an adult and looking back and even talking about it now, it was just me, it was me worrying too much about what everyone else was saying versus me just navigating and going about my life the way that I need to in order to to figure things out for myself. So yeah, that was a pretty interesting one for me. And then um, from there, again, teenagers, hormones, I was just, I would say I wasn't a wild kid. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, w I was a you know, straight A student, like I never got into trouble. And so I figured like, I was just doing my own thing <laughs> with whomever I wanted to do it with. We'll just put it that way. Along the way, I, again, did not have the language or the verbiage to, to, uh, to like, there wasn't a word for me, I felt, because bisexual didn't really seem to fit either for some reason. Yeah, and, and so my sexual exploration carried me through up until college. Again, I would still not consider myself wild, but <laughs> for the purposes of the conversation. Yes, I guess you could say I was. And then that's when I was introduced to the first trans person, trans man, that I've ever met. If you live in the greater New York area or have a good microphone and would like to share your story on Closet Practice, anonymously or not, message me on Twitter at DocumentaB, on Instagram at DocumentaBarbarism, Online at documentabarbarism.com or by email to buttstuff at documentabarbarism.com with only one A in barbarism. That's D-O-C-U-M-E-N-T-A-B-A-R-B-R-I-S-M. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to House of Barbarism on your pod thingy of choice so you don't miss a single episode of Adventures in Gaby Sitting and Closet Practice every Monday and Documenta and Son every Thursday. We didn't run in the same circles necessarily, but he was also queer, and there was this local club that we would hang out at in, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and, you know, sometimes I would see him there and stuff, and, you know, we'd grab a drink and dance and, you know, normal thing normal stuff and then there was one drunken debaucherous evening 
that I found it necessary to be brave and be like, hey, do you want to like come back and hang out? Came back, you know, we start pulling around or whatever. And then that's when he was like, I need to tell you something. And then that's when he explained to me that he was, that he was trans, which did not bother me at all. In fact, I mean, obviously I had tons of questions, <laughs> but I didn't feel like it was appropriate then to ask them given, you know, the scenario we were in at the moment. And, it, and again, from there, that's, you know, another incident where I'm like, this, this is how I knew not selecting some word to describe myself way back in 96, 97. I'm glad I didn't do that and pigeonhole myself and be limiting because knowing how I am just in life, being as curious as I am and wanting to experience as much as I possibly can, that here, here we are, another experience with a new person who I never would have met had I not just approached and be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> like, that's usually how most of my encounters, whether it's platonic, professional, whatever, it's just me being like, I'm just gonna go say hey. <laughs> Let's see where it goes. The result of that, I guess you could say, I, I still, I still felt in the same sort of space where I felt almost like labelless. Like for everyone else's sake, I would just say I was gay just because it was easy for them. Like I feel like the labels are for other people, which I always found really interesting because like I've never been one to like need to like hold on to a, a title or you know, a label or anything like that. So at that point I was still kind of living for myself labelless, but like still realizing like now I'm, there's this like new, that experience opened my mind up more to know that I just like people and humans and like if you're cool and we drive and it's great, awesome, I'm all about it. Um, still at that point didn't really have a word for it. I didn't really like probably place a word onto myself until maybe about four years ago when I kind of was reading up about like pansexuality. And so that's probably the closest I would say, I mean, I just say queer because it's just, I feel like that's a very like blanket term and it feels the most right to me. But yeah, after after that experience with him, it was it was just more like, oh, okay. So it doesn't really, it just, it doesn't matter. Like it's, as long as, you know, it's a decent human being that wants to spend time with me and I want to spend time with them. <laughs> like it's pretty much that simple. <laughs> Okay, so there was this girl that I like that was in my research methods class. I really like we became really, really good friends, but I like really, really liked her like a lot. I wanted to be her boyfriend. <laughs> like I liked her, but it never really quite worked only because she I think that's the first time my heart was broken a little bit because she basically, in a few words, said like it wouldn't work because because I'm gay. Again, the label thing, so I'm just like, oh, that was already annoying as it was. And then I'm like, but, and knowing that I'm not, it's almost like I painted myself into a corner by like saying to everyone else that I was gay and just leaving, instead of just leaving it alone. Cause now I'm finding myself in these situations with people that I really do care about and that I, you know, that may not necessarily be, you know, male or be a man. And they're, you know, not being receptive to it because whether it's their own, you know, hangups or bullshit or whatever. But yeah, that one, that one stung a little. Kind of turns it on its head, this whole idea of like, you know, the closet and coming out and what that means. And coming out was like, I never really felt the need to do it because I didn't feel ready. Cause I was still, you know, I was like, once I get it, me, it was like, once I get it figured out, 
then, you know, I can have to sit down and explain to people and blah, blah, blah. And, but then like eventually it was just sort of like, if, if people really want to know, <laughs> they can ask me. I think some of the struggles that I've faced as a result of things that have happened um, in my life growing up or certain, you know, whether traumas or experiences or whatever, um, one for sure is probably communicating in the sense of like communicating exactly how I feel and what I want. Going back to, you know, kids saying some pretty awful things <laughs> to me growing up and sort of not saying anything in the moment. I sort of took that with me into my adult life a little bit to where like it's I almost feel like it's just easier for me to shut up and just let things be versus you know speaking up and rocking the boat or having the potential to rock the boat I think affection was really difficult for me to express towards another person I mean because sex to me sex is mechanical things go in places blah 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 but like and that can be void of, you know, emotion and intimacy and all of those things. And I think not really having that, those kind of conversations with maybe elders in my life, how that may be important for whoever I'm with and not realizing really until probably recently how much I need that. Not that I didn't receive enough love or anything like that, like as a kid, like it has nothing to do with that, but just I am very affectionate person and I, I express it I mean through I mean many different ways if I'm not receiving enough of it <laughs> I'm god I sound needy but I'm not receiving enough of it I wouldn't necessarily like I'm sad or anything but I just feel I'm, I'm like what did I do <laughs> like what's wrong with me <laughs> like how can I make this better like but yeah I, I I don't know what was blocking what my mind was doing to block that that notion out for all these years that that was something that was important to me that I'm just now realizing at the age of 36 that yeah I need all the hugs I need all the kisses I need all the hand holding I need all the, the affirmations I need that <laughs> and I you know don't know if it's because I wasn't getting it from other places and it could have been me not speaking up as well again going back to that I could have just simply said hey this is like my love language these are the things that I need and I wasn't expressing that to the people that you know that I was with, so not to necessarily like put all the blame on myself, but I do definitely share some responsibility in that, that I could have been more vocal. I definitely feel like it was a defense tactic to just sort of stay quiet. Now that I'm like really, really, really thinking back, there's so many times that I probably could have avoided being in situations that, were, that weren't serving me well, simply by speaking up. I should have been kind, kinder to myself and also probably to some of the people that have come in and out of my life to just be honest. I will say this, the, the, the one instance that I can think of or person that I can think of where I felt I could have been a bit more honest. Um, Oh, no, I don't know that, uh, mm, I don't know that I'm ready to talk about it yet. <clears throat> and it's like the one thing that's like, it might, like, I can't think of anything else but that, but I just, I'm not ready to talk about that. I'm sorry. <laughs>
It's still a little painful. Eventually, I'll get to a point in a place where, um, where I'll be okay with, with, we'll just say I'll be okay with how things played out, still working through some of the emotions behind that, and also eventually getting to a place where if we ever do reconnect in whatever capacity that I feel like that person should be the first person that I um, explain those those things to and he, th that person deserves that first before anyone else I think um, the only person that I think I had the toughest time saying something to was my mom. I don't know why, till this day. Maybe, well, I mean, she did kind of put the fear of God in us when we were kids, like keep us in line, so maybe that had something to do with it. Like my seven-year-old self is like shivering in my boots before I could even like say it to her. Or not even necessarily say, say that I'm gay, just say that like, I'm, this is what's up, mom. <laughs> um, not a word for it yet. <laughs> it took me a very long time to come around to say anything to her, and I think it was like, just fear of what the outcome would be. She was always the pillar of, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated, and like, you know, a lot of her friends come from all different diverse backgrounds, and so like I was always around different people, so it's interesting that I chose, for whatever reason, her to be like, this almost like fearful figure to like not be able to be my authentic self around until later in life. But everyone else, it was kind of like, <laughs> you'll get it. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no, there's no hiding away from it. I kind of wear it on my sleeve a little bit. So at this point, um, I was dating my ex who I was with for a very long time. At this point, my, my parents, like my dad, you know, knew of, of him, my brothers knew of him, all my friends knew of him, never really talked to my mom about him, and then literally, it was probably about four or five years ago, maybe? It was one of the last Thanksgivings that we had um, at my mom's place before she passed. My mom tells my brother to call me to ask if I was going to come. And my brother's like, hey, blah, 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 the usual, how you doing, yada, yada, are you coming to Thanksgiving? Yes. And then he was like, are you bringing him? At this point, I hadn't said anything to my mom about that I was even dating anybody. Moms know. Let's just, like, my mom's not, she was, she's smart as a whip. Like, I should have just known just to say something ahead of time. She wasn't upset about it or anything. She was just like, okay, jig is up, we know. Like, <laughs> you can bring him. So uh, that was sort of how that came about in terms of my mom. And that's the thing, that's, and that's what made me even almost a little angry at myself for not saying something sooner because like it was like, okay, and? <laughs> that was their literal response, like, hey, do you want some chicken? Like, it was... <laughs> so, um, this whole big, scary mom monster, like, creation in my brain, like, it makes me feel silly. <laughs> but I'm glad it happened. So my dad, who, I love my dad so much, first of all, shout out to him, um, he, <laughs> so he sort of came out to, to me, one of my earliest memories, I, and oh, he's probably gonna like fact check the shit out of me, uh, <laughs> um, I want to say it was probably my sophomore year of high school, 
It was either... I don't know why sophomore year of high school's coming out to... Well, that was when 9-11 happened. Oof. Okay. Um, no, I think maybe I was 18. It was graduation... It was my graduation party. That's what it was. And <laughs> I remember my dad, like, just saying, like, you know, we needed to talk, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. Like, at this point, I'm like, woo, I'm out of school. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's when he he told me that um, that he was gay. Now at this point, my parents like I my parents had split or they were in the process of splitting when I was when I was a sophomore. That's where the sophomore year of high school was coming in. God, I was like 15, 16. And so immediately, obviously, I thought, oh shit, like they split because you know, of this news that I just got, which wasn't actually the case at all. I, I mean, it's something that he said he had, he'd struggled with for a while, but he also knew, A, he, I mean, he loved my mother, like, dearly, still to this day, and he knew he wanted to have kids. I was the oopsie. <laughs> I'm in the wedding photos. <laughs> to give me an idea. Screaming my head off as I'm tr pretty, tr pretty sure they're trying to say their vows. I always remember, like, when my dad told me that news, I was kind of like, okay. Like, very much like my mom was <laughs> with me. Um, and I guess because I was still, you know, going through my own journey as well, so I got it, like, in a way. Even though at this point, like, I didn't tell him until maybe about a few years after that, like, officially, that, like, hey, I have these feelings, you should probably know. <laughs> you know, did the, <laughs> did the whole... Uh, drunken cry thing, but I, I felt like oh, at least I have like somebody in my corner now to like talk to about you know this stuff when I'm ready to. And then you know once I finally told him and he said he was surprised, which I'm still like to this day like, are you saying that to like? Or maybe he was just being kind and didn't want to be like I've known, duh, like <laughs> and like hurt my feelings potentially. So I get that <laughs> if that was the case. But from then on, like I felt a lot more comfortable talking about that, that part of myself and having it be my dad, like, who also is going through the same thing, this, you know, later in, later in life. That was nice. And it still is, because still to this day, I still, if I have questions or advice or, or any, or if I need advice on just navigating being as open of a book as I am in trying to date. <laughs> Or, you know, I always know he's like a phone call away and always will usually give me the best, the best advice. My, I mean, my family in general is a very pretty stylish family. I remember as early as like, maybe like six, seven years old, like going to um, family reunions and just seeing all my aunts and uncles and they're all like, you know, dressed like to a T. Everything is in its right place. Every hair is in the right place. The nails are on point. Like everything was very like, I am here. I've arrived. Look at me. <laughs> That's sort of like the energy that, um, you know, my relatives and my parents gave off, and you know, when they presented themselves to the world. So it was always my idea of like, well, I mean, I want to look good too. <laughs> so like, I was very particular about my clothing as a kid. Um, I was in. It was probably like first, no, was it first grade, second grade? Somewhere around there. Starting in kindergarten, I think, I started growing a rat tail. <laughs> I can't believe I'm admitting this. Hi, internet. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I had a rat tail. And I would not leave the house. It, first of all, it was braided. 
and I would not leave the house unless the beads in my rat tail matched whatever outfit I was wearing. Period. Like, <laughs> I was so attached to that thing. Like, it was like my best friend. I would play with it in class. I'm like, yes, look, she matches the shirt. Yes. Like, I was feeling myself. I didn't care if anybody else thought it looked stupid. And then I chopped that. My mom was devastated. She was like, you really want to chop it? You were so attached. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for something different. And yeah, that's sort of where it began, where I started being very particular about the way in which I wanted to present myself. At that point, obviously it was very much like very boy, like traditional boy. So it was always like button downs and like sleeveless sweater vests and like you know, slacks. Oh, I went through an overalls and penny loafer phase. Don't ask. Um, <laughs> like together, I wore them too. Mm -hmm, exactly. <laughs> and then fast forward, like I did that for a while, like pretty much all through high school. It wasn't really until like right around like the last couple years of college that I started like experimenting with my style and in the way of like gender and sort of like wearing things that would be typical for a, a woman to wear. Like, I, it started really, like I, like, I put the pinky toe in, like, at first I started by, like, buying women's pants and women's jeans. I was like, oh, they're a little slimmer, you know, I got these, you know, these thick hams, so it's gonna look kind of good. And, you know, I started to, you know, wear a little bit of makeup here and there, like, just mascara and, like, concealer and stuff like that. Started painting my nails, and then that sort of evolved into this where I am today, which is like, I will never suffer for fashion again. I don't know what I was thinking in all those years that I was like, I'm uncomfortable, but I look so good. Never again. Um, so now it's basically like shirt dresses and harem pants and like, you know, flowy top. I like anything away from the body is like so nice to me. <laughs> I actually am wearing something of my mom's right now. That's like black cardigan, which can be worn like a bunch of different ways, but yeah, it's super flowy and pretty and just, yeah, I like I like playing around with people's ideas of what is appropriate for a man to wear. And why can't I wear this if it looks good? <laughs> you just tell me it looks good and then I tell you it's a dress and now all of a sudden it's a problem because I got it from the ladies section at like, you know, freaking JCPenney. Like, screw off. Like, <laughs> like, clothes have no gender to me. Like, if it looks cute, wear it. If you feel good, wear it. That's the most important thing. If you feel great in it, then it's already, it's already a, a win in my book and nobody can tell you shit otherwise, <laughs> period. Identify as, as male, he, him, his pronouns. I think maybe, and I get asked that question quite a bit from people. Once like they get to know me, we start to have these sorts of conversations about like gender identity and, and all of that. And it's something that I don't really think about that much. And I think I've just, because I was born biologically a man or a boy, then, you know, I just identify like by, you know, by way of that, I identify as a, as a man. I'm like, I never thought that like sort of me expressing myself through like the way that I, um, you know, put myself together and present myself was, was tied into my identity. That's, I don't know. See, that's a, wow. Maybe. Hmm. <laughs> I think you just did something because <laughs> I don't, I never really thought about whether or not this and I'm like fan waving in front of myself, like this whole presentation of like who I am, if that plays into my gender identity. And if, hmm, I got some thinking to do. But I mean, the short answer would be like today, yes.
identifies man he is, but like, yeah, I never really thought about that. Huh. You stopped me, gal. <laughs> I think then that's, that's great. Like, I get to now, I have this whole other thing to like, think, you know, delve into and think about. And I may come out on the other side still feeling the same way, but at least the, uh, the wheels are turning and the, and the, the, the journey towards, uh, finding an answer begins. <laughs>